The Writer's Toolkit is published by Nick Hearn Books. Order direct from the publisher and get 20% off this and other great titles. Visit nickhearnbooks.co.uk. A virtual coffee with inspiring playwrights and screenwriters. This is the Writer's Toolkit Podcast. Hello fellow writers and a big happy new year. I'm Paul Kalbergi and this is the platform where I share my conversations with the playwrights and screenwriters who continue to inspire me. While my book of the same name is all about writing craft with almost 200 tips, tricks and ideas to help you tackle troublesome scenes and navigate around any writing roadblocks, I hope this podcast will serve as motivation for the journey, a peek inside the writing rooms of working writers, finding out what life in the trenches looks like for them. Coming up. My guest today is Catherine Burnett, an award-winning screenwriter and playwright whose name can be found on many successful TV series here in New Zealand, and a name that rolled right off the tongue of everyone I met when I first arrived here, encouraging me to reach out to Catherine. We finally said hello at an industry event earlier this year and sat down for a lovely coffee in person a few weeks later, at which point Catherine's new play, The Camper Van, was all set to receive a world premiere production here in Auckland. Alas, COVID-19, the gift that keeps on taking, had other plans. It's not a gentle, kind comedy. I mean, most people in it behave quite badly. From the inception to what was supposed to be opening night was about six years. But it is it is very funny. It's going to have a rebirth in May next year, so that's nice. In this episode, Catherine talks about the development journey of the play, and we chat about the now iconic writing room that provided her first TV credit and stories to dine out on for a lifetime, as well as her latest work on the Lucy Lawless crime comedy series, My Life is Murder. The Writer's Toolkit Podcast with Paul Kalbergi. Catherine Burnett is an award-winning screenwriter, playwright and writing coach who has worked in film and television for almost 30 years. Her screenwriting credits include the TVNZ telly feature The Tender Trap, black comedy Fresh Eggs, the drama miniseries Black Hands and comedy drama The Strip. Catherine also wrote for the award-winning children's sci-fi drama series The Cul-de-Sac. Most recently, she's written for the second season of the Australia-New Zealand crime comedy drama series My Life is Murder and the brand new Kiwi rom-com Under the Vines. Her latest comedy play, The Camper Van, was scheduled for a world premiere production back in September and is now expected to park up in May 2022. Catherine recently shared the final draft Best Screenplay Award at the 2020 Show Me Shorts Festival with her animated comedy Prickly Jam and is nominated alongside Ruia Brown for Best Script in the Drama category at the 2021 New Zealand Television Awards for The Tender Trap. In addition to writing, Catherine is also a very active writing coach and in-demand script consultant, having worked on numerous film and TV projects including The Breaker Uppers, Lovebirds, Devil's Rock, Poppy and The Ferryman, to name just a few. I'm thrilled we were able to catch up again for a chat on the podcast. Catherine, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. It's great. I don't usually launch straight into project talk, but we did this um, a month ago in person and things were very different back then. Yeah. And tomorrow should have been the closing night of the world premiere of your new play, Campervan. I know. Well, thank you very much for having me, first off. Uh, it's great. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> what can you say? It was supposed to be the closing night of my... Uh, play the camper van but um, it's going to have a rebirth in May next year so that's nice yeah 
Yeah, that's so exciting. I mean, just getting anything on stage is, you know, always such an uphill battle and you, you, you got there and yeah. you were, you know, so close to opening. You were having, you know, first table reads and yes. you know, your, your set was, I guess, already and the theatre was ready for you. It was. Um, the ticket sales were also extraordinary. So um, that's really disappointing. Yeah. But you've got dates in the diary. So it's something to, to look forward to, right? Definitely. Definitely. And it's just the way of it you know, mm. at the moment. And that's just it. Yeah. Well, anyway, tell us more about the play, Catherine. Well, it's a play about a rich lister who is having a, I guess, the mother of all midlife crises and decides that he wants to sell up everything he owns and move into a camper van and live in a camper van because we just don't need right. all this stuff. Um, and it's, but of course there's more to it mm. than that. And the family he is in is a second wife, um, very indulged, entitled son, first wife, and of course a business partner. So um, they're really not keen on this plan. And to the outside world, it, it just looks crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, but it's um, it's really fun. We had such a great cast lined up. It's it's not a gentle kind comedy right. i mean most people in it behave quite badly okay, okay. but it is it is very funny so yeah that's what it's about oh well, it sounds fantastic and listen i had my ticket booked for september so oh. i can't wait to reschedule and uh, come and see it in may so talk to us about the development journey what did the road to production look like for the camper van excuse the pun well i actually started writing it when i was doing a playwriting course with gary henderson and I had the idea, like I, I, I'd written a play before. In fact, I'd written two plays before, but I just wanted to upskill. Yeah. So I did, and I thought I had no formal training. I was quite a new playwright. Like I'm a very experienced screenwriter, mm. but quite a new playwright. Yeah. So I thought I just need to upskill. So went to his course, and as part of the course homework, I came up with the idea. Yeah. And when I left the course, I just kept tinkering away at it, and I entered it into the Adams. Mm. Um, and was shortlisted, which was very exciting. Then beyond then, just keep working on it. I also went to Play Markets Play Retreat mm. and worked on it further um, and just keep chipping away at it, really. And I mean, from the inception to what was supposed to be opening night was about six years. Wow. Yeah. So it's quite a long time. Yeah. And But I was really lucky because uh, Play Market, who's my agent, had sent it out to a bunch of folk once it was finished. Mm. And about a year later, a year, underlined, yeah, uh, a yeah. year, <laughs> exclamation mark. Later, um, Auckland Theatre Company got in touch with me and really liked it and wanted to talk to me about it. And I was really fortunate to do a little bit of development with Brilliant. them on it, which was great. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that was all kind of like steaming ahead. And then first COVID, you know, first lockdown, yeah. pandemic, everything just changed. So I went away and had reworked it and it was better. Um, and then the version that... Um, Tadpole Productions wanted to produce um, was probably, I would say, about a sixth draft right. of it. Right. And um, it's quite interesting. It was because it's been around for a wee while. Mm. Uh, but at some point, uh, the Victoria Theatre Trust had asked me if they could do a public reading of it. It's something they do over every year, three yeah. new New Zealand plays. They just choose them out of the many New Zealand plays there are to choose from. And do a reading and at that reading, which was great. At the reading, Roger Hall. Yeah. He really liked it. And he's the chair of Tadpole Productions and wow. said to them, you need to look at this. Play. 
play. So I was, it was great. Yeah. It was a coincidence and a great opportunity and fortuitous, but I was ready. Yeah. Because my play was really well developed by that point. Yeah. Brilliant. But now, so now is there any temptation to, um, you know, open it up and re-edit and kind of get back in there before? Well, actually, I'd done exactly what you're talking about. As soon as Tadpole picked it up and the, the casting process started, yeah. I had um, director Simon Pruss was attached to it. And I knew I had about a month before they started rehearsals. Mm. So that's when what you're talking about happened for me. I went, right. I'm back in there <laughs> and okay. another little yep. polish. Yep. And it was great because I tightened it made it funnier. That's nice. I wanted the, I still wasn't fully happy with one of the characters. Uh, so it was awesome to, to know that it was going to happen. There's nothing like that. Yeah, yeah, spur. yeah. It's about to be on stage. So you better make it the best you can be. Yeah. So I kind of did that then. And I, if I went back in, I think for next year, I think if anything, it would be an edit. Okay. I think, I don't think I would rewrite it. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about your your writing routine and your kind of process and practices. Um, mm. So do you generally write at home, Catherine? Is that your main writing space? I do. Um, and I think when I, because I get quite sick of that as well, I should point yeah. out. So, you know, yeah. anyone who's out there thinking, well, lockdown's so terrific for writers, not this one. Right. <laughs> like, I really <laughs> don't love it. Um, and I tend to write at home, but that's generally just a thing about I've only got so many hours in the day, so I don't want to mm. waste time traveling to an office that I've rented fundamentally, yes. which sounds yes. ludicrous. But I really love taking myself away and writing. I find that really productive. Yeah. So yeah. I generally just do my stuff. And I've got this little habit, uh, which I try, and I recommend this to lots of people, is that if I want to do creative brainstorming work, mm. I will go and do it in my bedroom or my, or my lounge. Okay. And I prop myself up with a coffee and some cushions and put some warm socks on yeah. and just sit there yeah. like doing it pad and paper. So purposefully away from your desk, you mean? Yeah. 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 And then I go back into my work office. Into the zone. Into the work zone. Yeah. And the workplace yeah. to do the actual work. It's great. And it's very simple and very effective. Yeah. No, I like that separation, that kind of, mm. this is my time to play. This is my time to yes. throw stuff on the wall and see what sticks. Yes. And now yeah. it's action time. Yes. And so, and honestly, my tools for the play part are like an art pad. Right. Okay. And a pen. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it's really very low tech, yes. and, but I love it. And I find it really, really good. I find it super good. Yeah. And what about your, so you're in the zone writing space there. Do you have like mm. a dedicated room? Is that where you're sat right now? Yes, I do. I have an office, which is chaotic at the minute, which was actually one of my must do in January this year thing and never happened. But yeah, it's, in my house, which is awesome. Yes. And I tend to, when I, my, in terms of my process, I tend to exercise in the morning, okay. have a coffee, then yeah. start work. Yeah. And I will tend to time block my writing time. Okay. Because as you know, I do a bunch of things and mm. I'm working on a bunch of projects and I also have, you know, my workshops. So I tend to time block and go, right, how much, and this is a chunk of time I'm spending solely on working on a project. Yep. And that might be uh, moving a project that I've been commissioned to write for, like for a script for My Life is Murder or mm. Under the Vines, which is coming up. Okay. Uh, so there's that, or if it's just something of my own, like another play or um, spec script or whatever, spec script, yeah. something like that. 
same process. I just go, all right, so I'm time blocking a chunk of time here, and then I might do another chunk of time in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, and that way it stops, um, well, as much as I possibly can stop it, it stops all of the distractions like email and social media. and Yes, that's so important. And queries from people. I mean, I get daily queries from people about all sorts of stuff. Yes. Um, bleeding into my creative work time. Well, that's it, isn't it? And I think it's having that um, perspective and mm. you know, these are my working hours. I've got to value this mm. just like I would anything mm. else in my diary. Mm. So do you manage all of that mentally or uh, do you have a million notebooks or do you have a calendar system? Um, I manage it mentally, but I also have a to-do list. Okay. So I try to, uh, when I write my to-do list, I usually write it the night before okay. for the That's day. Yeah. And then, I, and honestly, it's as simple as um, work on shelved, which is the name of a, you know, um, foot and then put a, a lot, some time to it. Yes. Um, and yeah. so I know it's sitting there and it stops me dealing with the stuff that feels urgent, but actually isn't urgent. Yes. Yeah, And I have to say, it's I don't find it difficult getting myself to the table to start writing mm. because I, f I always know that I feel amazing after I've done that. Yes, And I feel yeah. really crappy and quite crummy yep. if I don't. Like I get to the end of the day and go, God damn it, yeah. I didn't do any writing. And I don't write every day, by the way. Right. I, I don't think that's 100% necessary. It depends so much on the context of your life yep. Yep. and what, you've got, what else you've got going on. Yeah, And sometimes, you know, a girl's got to eat. And I want to make, you know, an income. So I might do three days where I'm working on someone else's show, not doing any writing at all. Right. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. Because I know that I will, when I get back to my, you know, yeah. Catherine's creative yeah. projects, that's, I'll be focused on those. That's brilliant. I, I'm always very aware. And I think maybe in the time of my life that I'm in right now and having young children, um, mm. I'm always very conscious of kind of uh, not moving forward and not moving ahead. So I, I yes. have this daily practice where I, because I can't always, similar to you, I can't always do project work and always sit down and, and work on mm. a piece, but I have to come into my space and write a six yes. word story or a postcard or something. I have to have written something. So I started this practice 2020, mm. I think, 1st of January, where I write a six-word story on my typewriter oh, every great. single day. And it just Fantastic. means that mentally I can go to bed thinking, I've written something today. And it may not have been anything yeah. that's going to advance my career, but I'm flexing my writing muscles, as it were, every day. Absolutely. Well, it's the same um, uh, concept, I guess, as morning pages mm. or people that keep a dream diary. Yes. Uh, I mean, I say this to, you know, loads of my students is that if you're really struggling to get into the writing, then just write something. Yeah, and it doesn't anything. matter what rubbish it is. I mean, it really doesn't. It's just anything. And it's it's lovely. Um, but I'm I'm all over the place. I've got to, I just want to be really honest. <laughs> my <laughs> writing schedule is not like a beautiful, shining yeah, yeah. Excel sheet oh, full of yeah. information. It is basically a handwritten to-do list. Yeah. And I've just got yeah. in my head what I need to do. And I, I'm pretty good with deadlines. Are you? So yeah. I always know, yeah, I'm really good with deadlines. So I know what I've got to do by a certain time. Okay. And this is if it's if it's commissioned work. Yeah. Obviously that's one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's the you know the the pressure of a deadline I find a very good spur. Right. So right. I find that very good. So that's really good. If it's something that is, you know, speculative, so I'm just writing it for myself or I'm just work chipping away at my own yeah. project. And it's unpaid, which and my, you know most writers I know do a lot of this work. I have to find a different type of deadline. Yeah. So I have to go and okay, this is okay. Let me tell you a story. Mm. 
for back to the camper van. So when I wanted to enter that into the Adams. And, and just for our international listeners, mm. so the Adam was formerly the Play Market New New Zealand Play Award. Yes. And is the only one of its kind for specifically for new playwriting, right? Yeah. And so camper van, I wanted to move it forward. So I went, I know the Adams is looming and the date is always the same every year. Yeah. And so I went, okay, this is the deal I cut with myself. Um, you're putting something in. And it doesn't matter how really right. incompetent and dreadful <laughs> it is, it's going oh, in. Oh, I love that. So that's up to you, how much work you put into it. Like, sure, piss about, go drinking out instead, don't do the work, but something's going into that competition. And the humiliation, Paul, of having people that will probably know me and that will be potentially contemporaries reading that work was quite the spur. So typically, because I am, you know, a terrible person, I'm <laughs> quite disciplined, Sometimes I'm not very disciplined. So I uh, left it and I was working away on it. And then I, in my head, I'd gone, great. I've got two days before the deadline. I'll be fine. Um, I'll be absolutely fine. Couple Another couple of hours, then a spell check. I'll be fine. I started work on it. And this was the day before the deadline and went, oh, it's really terrible. <laughs> like the end of it is terrible. And I went, okay, you just have to just sit and fix it because you can't put this in. Yeah. So I did. And then I took a break, had some sleep, got up the next day. Um, this is absolutely not exaggerating. Uh, the deadline, I think, is like at nine o'clock at night or something like that. So I sat in that seat for 16 hours straight. Wow. And I honestly got up to make a cup of tea or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I was there so long, I actually damaged my coccyx. Oh, like, gosh. I damaged my tailbone. As I know, it was, it was so bad. Well, that's and commitment went, for you. It is commitment. But I, I just went into this frenzy. It was quite unusual. It was like a heightened state. Yeah. I've never been in that place before where I went, I'm just not stopping. I'm in. Yeah. I'm all in. Yeah. And I think I delivered it about 15 minutes before the deadline. Wow. And was it free-flowing in that moment? Or yes, was it, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it was absolutely. I was just a machine. Yeah. When I, and my observation from that was, if I did that more often, I'd probably be a more productive writer. It's, yeah. um, it's you know, when you when there's a pressing deadline, boy, nothing like it. Mm. So that was the deadline I had to kind of give myself because I didn't have a, no one cared whether I entered that or not except me. No, exactly. So yeah. I do um, a similar thing and this will mm. be a nice segue into talking about community. Mm. I have a writing buddy who I will, um, you know, we, we agree to read each other's work regularly. Oh, great. And when I commit to sending him a draft of something, mm. I realize that he's set time aside to do that and to give me that feedback. Mm. So that's very often, you know, deadline enough for me mm. but it's so easy not not to write otherwise if you haven't got any any pressing reason to finish a project mm. it was the american novelist wasn't it the american writer william goldman who said the easiest thing to do on earth is not write and it's so true oh it's so easy not to write it's just so true and so i think there's a really big part of this whole conversation is so finding a deadline which always works for me and so sometimes that's a competition or a, um you know something i can just enter or the fact that it was about to be on stage was yes it was very easy to go back to my play and do a polish yeah and i loved it because I was, you know, that's a really lovely deadline to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I went there with the starting rehearsal on this date, so it better be ready. Yeah. You know, it was great. It was terrific. So, but yes, generally, I think I always advise people to do that, like find a deadline of some sort. Otherwise, um, it's, as you say, so easy not to write. Time can just roll by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what does what does writing, what does community look like for you, Catherine, in your writing world? Where do you get that for yourself? Well, I've got um, friends and colleagues 
and contemporaries yeah. fundamentally. And they're people that I think generally that I've worked with. Yeah. That um, we are aligned in terms of our tone and style and what we enjoy. Yeah. Plus, you know, um, I generally don't work with many people that I wouldn't like to sit in a bar and have a drink with. Uh, it's, nice. you know, it's that. It's like where there's already, we're all, we're speaking the same language. Yes. And so I've got a, so for me, I've got a bunch of those people and I know a lot of people in the film, TV and theatre world that I feel I can talk to if yeah. I need to, which is really great. In terms of the community for, I've got another type of community, which is the people that I um, teach or advise or help. Yeah. And so I run something called The Writing Room, which is a very simple, used to be live, and now everything's changed, it's not, it's all online, which is a group of writers of all different types, by the way, uh, who come together every Tuesday night and write yeah. from wherever they are. Um, so there's that. So I have two types of community, I guess. Yes. Like I've got my personal community and then I've got the much broader yeah. um, community of all sorts of people that have ever done my workshops or who belong to the writing room or, you know, turn up to things when I do freebies online and blah, blah, yes. blah, blah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's so nice. And so I, I was aware of your writing room. When I first arrived, I picked up a postcard that's actually pinned to my oh, wow. my board in the distance there behind me. Mm. Your, just because the picture was nice. Oh, well, thank you. Do you have plans though, as well in the future to, to take it back IRL? <laughs> yes. um, no, no, not at all. Because um, it actually, people preferred it. A couple of people went, I don't like it that it's online okay. and left, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. But it is really weird how watching other people people work yeah. is very inspiring and I don't I don't I haven't even sat down to think about the science of it mm. or looked into any of it all I know is that's my lived experience it's so true yeah the whole thing came about because I used to love even at one point I was working with a friend of mine Nick Ward who's a really prolific screenwriter and we were working on something and we were in separate rooms but in the same house and we could hear each other. We could hear each other typing. Right, right. And I really loved it. And I have to say, I felt I was super happy. Yeah. We're both quite extroverted. Yeah. And I think it was the thing of we liked the company, even though we weren't necessarily looking mm. directly at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was terrific, but it was quiet. Yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm in a cafe and it's noisy. It was okay. like I was in my own house. Yes. But it was terrific. And I went, okay, that really worked for me. Mm. Just having company. Yeah. And yeah. having hearing someone else working really yeah. worked for me. I wonder if that would work for other people. It turns out it does. It does. So it <laughs> yeah, but not everybody. Some people go, nope, I just want to be completely on my own. And that's cool. Yeah. Writing room is not for them. Yeah. yeah. But there's plenty Fair of enough. people that love um, being in the writing room. Yeah. Well, I, I get a bit of that from being in coffee shops. So I can't be in this mm. room, you know, all week long you, when, you know, when the kids are at school. I like, I usually pick mm. one day a week that I'll go and work from a coffee shop. And mm. I find that little bit of, Gosh, I'm in a public space. I yes. better be busy. Better look busy. And it, that, yes. that makes me right. You know, I find that if there's a piece that I've been putting off, you know, breaking the back of or getting into, I'll, mm. if I do that in a public space, I find that I can get into the work much easier and then come home and continue. Mm. Yeah, that's um, very much um, what I was talking about earlier about the shifting where you are mm. is really great. I agree. And I love doing that. I don't actually do that enough. Sometimes feel a bit yucky sitting in a cafe because I go, well, I drink my coffee like a complete pig. Right. And it's, you know, it's gone <laughs> in one second. And then I sit there for an hour taking up a table. So, yeah. Where are your um, go-to writing spots in Auckland? Where do I need to know about Catherine? Well, I, I honestly have got out of the habit. I've done, I can't even recommend anything. Okay. I suspect the library, Auckland Public oh, Library yeah, is good. probably really good. That's good. I love it there. And generally when I'm in a cafe, I'm either reading or mm. talking to whoever I'm with. So 
I yeah. haven't done a lot of writing in a cafe for a while. Okay, okay. Let me give you a recommendation then that I found. Oh, please, please. My new favorite place is Crave in Morningside. Do you know it? I do, not really well. Because they have upstairs, they have that little yes. library area. Yeah. With typewriters and film cameras yes. and things around, which I love. Because you can rent rooms there too, right? Yeah. Actually, you and I should so talk about this. We're, I was thinking about we should just get a bunch of chums Definitely. and rent a room every now and then and yeah. get up there. Well, that would and be do good. It. It'd be so good. We could even pitch ideas to each other and throw some yes. log lines around and get yes. some feedback. That will be good. And drink coffee. Of course. Eat scones. Of course. There must be scones. <laughs> Actually, their yes. baked goods are incredible there. We may end up doing more eating than, than writing. Yes. Oh, look, no, I'm, I'll be, look, you and I will be very good at being disciplined. I know we will. Yeah, definitely. But we should, we should totally do that. I would love to do that. I love the idea of that. Yeah, me too. The conversation continues after these words from our sponsors. Hey there, Mark Sanderson here, author of A Screenwriter's Journey to Success with my script tip for today. You know, your talent is as important as your professional attitude and work ethic. It takes all three and a little bit of luck to survive over this long haul screenwriting journey. Welcome back to the Writer's Toolkit podcast. All right, let's have a little chat about teaching then. Okay. When I did my master's at Regents University, one of the things that I loved the most, and this was writing for screen and stage, was that all of the visiting lecturers and mentors were working writers. Yes, And it's so important. And I think you seem to have found a a real sweet spot between time in the classroom and, you know, maintaining an active professional writing life yourself. Mm. How important is that that for you not to kind of, you know, become full-time teacher? Oh, hugely important. Hugely important. I mean, I really, I mean, I'm a writer first and a teacher second. Yeah. And I could see that I was starting to tip into teaching. It's easy to do, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's very easy. And I get asked to do teaching for other people as well. Yeah, yeah. But I could see that happening. So I had to just stop and reconfigure so it worked. Yes. And I think in my experience that people who I teach a really common thing they have said to me and it was not really planned it just kind of occurred they were we really love how open and honest you are about your process and what happens to you and all of that and I think that's really important so I really enjoy teaching is the other thing yeah and so I'm really lucky because I like it really love writing really enjoy teaching and as you say I found a sweet spot where I can make both work which is really cool yeah Absolutely. And there's so much to be said as writers ourselves, being in the room with Mm. especially hungry, young, early career writers, you know, feeding off that enthusiasm and throwing ideas around and challenging theories. And it inspires my work no end. I get so much from that, that time in the classroom. Yeah, no, I think so too. I think it's really enjoyable. People are so hungry for authentic knowledge. Like I just Mm. know in my whole career of being involved, particularly like in film and TV on any level, because I'm also on the board of the Writers Guild. So I've kind of involved on that level too, is that people love war stories. Like they just love war stories. They love hearing the the good, bad and yeah. Yeah. And and what's going on and how it happens. And yes, mm. yes. I haven't done any teaching online and I think, Mm. you know, partly resenting COVID and um, this idea that we're all supposed to become kind of overnight YouTubers. Mm. Um, But you seem to have done a lot of it and it seems to have gone really well for you. So I was keen to just, you know, reflect on what we just talked about in terms of the energy in the room, being there with the writers in person Mm. and kind of how much of that is lost online. I feel a lot of it is lost uh, online. I prefer being in the room Mm. like I really do. And I have just adjusted 
to the Zoom thing and in terms yeah. of trying to keep the engagement going. Yeah. I feel like when I'm on Zoom, I'm kind of shouting. Right. <laughs> it's right. quite weird. Like, <laughs> checking, wow. Can you hear me out there? <laughs> yes, yes. I'm shouting at people. And I think it's just asking people questions and asking them to engage and asking them to see what they've got to think about things is a really great way to engage. Mm. But you can really tell, and I find this in bigger Zooms, for example, um, when there's lots and lots of people in it, you can see that people are really kind of dis disengaged there. It's like they're listening to the radio and walking around their house. And you're staring at all these blank boxes as well. Sometimes not everyone turns the camera on, right? Yeah, well, I'm, I find that very creepy. Yes. So I'm yes. pleased to turn your camera on. Yeah. And most people comply, you know, it's good. Yeah. But um, yeah, you can see some people are very distracted. When it's a smaller group, people are very intensely mm. watching the other people and watching you. Yeah. yeah. So that works really well when it's a small group. Okay. I think okay. when it's a bigger group, it's just it's really difficult. Yeah. I imagine when it's a bigger group and you're just talking and talking and talking, you burn through a lot more material where you'd normally dissect that mm. and discuss it in mm. the class. Mm. You probably Definitely. go Definitely. And also, I have to say, when you're in class, there's more lols, you know. I mean, yeah. you, I'm cracking jokes because, yeah. you know, yeah. I just such a show off. Yeah. I'm cracking <laughs> jokes. People are laughing. They went, I'm giving people some shit. You know, yes. it's great. Yeah. And it's really, really dynamic and fun. And people can also really easily ask um questions as yeah. I'm going along. Yeah. Whereas online it's you have that awful little time gap, little delay mm. where you're not quite sure someone's about to speak or not. Yes. And they yes. do and people talk at the same time because they can't read yeah. each other's micro expressions. Oh, no, you can't you can't beat those in person experiences, bringing writers together, community, being in the room. Yeah. Like we uh, ran something called Write Fest two thousand and twenty one. Yeah. Just before this lockdown. That's so great that you got that in person just before the lockdown. Oh, it was fantastic. And people were just frothing, you know, they loved it. And yeah. it's exactly that. Is they get to hang out and drink coffee with other writers and yeah. talk and blah blah blah. It's really awesome. Yeah. I must come along to that next year. Yes, please do. The earliest memory that I have in terms of feeling, um, you know, a kind of calling to the industry and particularly theatre mm. was an early childhood visit to a pantomime at the Billingham mm. Forum Theatre in the northeast of England, where I'm from originally. Um, it was Puss in Boots. And there was something about this particular production or this night and the energy in that space mm. that spoke to me in a very different way than I'd ever felt, mm. you know, just being in the audience before. Mm. And I don't know what it was, but there was something that made me realize that theater was the world that I belonged to. And I couldn't mm. have known at that stage that I would go on to be a writer or, or that that's even what I wanted to do back then. But there was something, I felt that pull. Yes. And I would later go on to work in the forum, uh, in the box office, and I would take my breaks in the empty auditorium by the light of the, the ghost light and sit there and write and, you know, really kind of feed off that, that energy. Mm. So I was keen to ask, was there an early memory or an, a, a specific moment early on when you really realized um you know what you wanted to do or that you would work in film and tv i really struggling to think about the exact moment but i think there was a series of moments and i think um as soon as i started working in the room with other writers and we kind of realized that we had a similar language and we could just cut straight yeah, to it. Yeah. And there's also a lot of enjoyment in a writer's room, yeah. right? If you get the right people, yeah, it's yeah. so much fun and you just laugh and laugh and laugh. But I think the moments for me were more when I would do something, and this is much, much younger, mm. I would do something like, for example, um, when I was at university in my first year, for some reason, I, God only knows why I did this, I wrote like a little mini play, which was really small, about a woman who was leaving her husband for a tomato. <laughs> and, I just, <laughs> and I 
just don't know what took it. I don't know why this, I suddenly did this, but I did it. Uh, so I gave it to somebody who's not, was not in this world at all. And they read it and they went, you're really clever. Like, it's really funny. How You're really yeah. clever. And I was really kind of taken aback by, it had been so easy. And I was really taken aback by, oh, but can't right. everyone do right. that? You have something. You know, and that's when I think I realized. And then I had a, had a number of little moments in my life where people outside of the creative world that we inhabit look at you like they look, their heads are sideways. Right, going, right, right. What? How did you do that? Yeah, how yeah, did yeah. you create something from nothing mm. and put it on the page? And for me, it feels so natural that I think I've had a number of those little moments where I went, oh, yeah, that's my thing. That's my vibe. And that's the thing I can do. But to be honest, I've always been able to do it. I mean, I was one of those children that wrote poetry really young and just loved it. I had no idea that it was a, a thing. That yep. was special or, or, you know, special. What am I trying to say? You know what I mean? That was a skill yeah, or that yeah, other yeah. people didn't do it. And I also think um, the moment where I really realized what you're talking about was when I produced my own play. Right. It was my first play. And I, wrote, I co-wrote that with Nick Ward. I produced that in about, I'm going to say about 2011, 2012. Okay. And I had no idea how to produce a play. And just, yeah. to, again, I took it upon myself to go, I'm just yeah. going to do it. And you have to. You learned so much through doing that that you'll never learn anywhere else. It's really true. And there was a, just a moment. Uh, there was, I mean, over that, I mean, it was incredibly hard work, as you'd appreciate, to get it up on stage. Yeah. Um, but I remember there was a moment, and it was the day before opening night, and I was in the theatre and I was watching the dress. Right, right. And I was just, my whole body was just thrumming with energy. It was amazing. And I just went, this is absolutely where I belong. Oh, brilliant. It was so great. And just the combination of all the great people I had involved yeah. as well. And just the discussions and just the fun we had, even though it was so much work and, you know, I wasn't paying people amazingly well. Yeah. And I just went, I've just never been happier. And I was exhausted. Right. I, I think I made about, um, in terms of actual, you know, profit, I think yeah. I made about $600 from that experience. Oh, but brilliant. I know. Actually, exactly. Didn't yeah. lose money. Hooray. Exactly. But, um, I remember talking to one of the people who were in the play, who was Michelle Court, who doesn't do a okay. masses of acting, yeah. but is very yeah. funny. And I remember saying to her about a year later, that was the happiest time in my life. I was never happier than that month when we were in rehearsal. It was, you know, I was yeah. running around trying not to hemorrhage money, trying to get everything happening. And she said, I feel the same way. It was like, yeah. we just had such a great time and it was exhausting work, but it was terrific. And that's when I went, this is really, this is my people. This is, what I want to be this doing. is where I yeah. belong. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, I kind of knew that. Yes. Um, but it was just terrific. Yeah. Where did you put that on at? It was on at the Herald Theatre in Auckland, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. It was part of the STAMP program. The council used to run a program called STAMP. Uh, and it was also part of the comedy festival. Oh, well, that's very smart. You were able to kind of tap into an established uh, audience hungry for new work yeah, absolutely and that's how it ended up in the herald which is was yeah, great yeah. but yeah, yeah quite a learning experience okay i'd like to delve into the new zealand tv archives now and rewind to 1994 mm. to talk about something very special that you were part of mm. uh, this is a real moment in new zealand television history and mm. something that i'm sure or i hope you'll look back on affectionately <laughs> So, yes, um, Melody Rules, uh, which was my first ever proper paid TV job. And 
there's actually been a podcast made about Oh, oh, I know. I devoured the whole series. So this is a Radio New Zealand podcast yes. series called The Worst Sitcom Ever Made yes. that looks at the genesis of Melody Rules and how it came to be. It is the funniest thing. It is so great. That podcast, it was so good. So briefly then, Melody Rules was a was an attempt to make a New Zealand version of the American style sitcom. Is that is that right? Uh, Melody Rules was trying to be, as far as the writers in the room were concerned, we were trying to write something clever like Seinfeld, mm. uh, because Seinfeld was on air at the minute. Yeah. Uh, we all loved it. It was great. Um, I think the network and the producers had a very different idea, but no one bothered to tell us. Right. Um, so yeah, I look back on, I do look back on it with fondness because I learned such a lot, yeah. and I made really good lifetime friends mm. from working on that show. Had, I mean, honestly, it was it was also party central. I should point out. Oh, was it really? Oh yeah. And so we instinctively knew that this was going to be a problem. This show, like, there were a whole bunch of things which we don't have time to go no, into. No, no. But listen to the podcast; you'll find out. I'll, I'll link to the podcast. Um, yeah, in, please in do. Um, and we knew, we instinctively knew really early on because we were not stupid. Yeah. You know, we're smart, and we what we were trying to write was not what we ended up with or what was right. really asked for yeah and yeah. so we kind of knew and so we just went we're just going to enjoy ourselves as much as possible did our best within really not an ideal situation and so yeah but no really i have very fond memories even yes. though the show itself is terrible this you know i wrote some really great lines for that show yeah, i'm sure i did having been part of something that has become you know so iconic like melody rules mm. There's something magical about that, isn't there? Yeah. And, and looking back on it now, it must feel almost like, did that really happen? It, it really is. It's like after the podcast launched, we got as many people as we could together. Really? To get together, to have a chat. Oh, a little reunion. It was a little reunion. It was really fun. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I it was that. great fun. And it's, yeah, it was just, it's really quite something being a writer on a show that is pilloried. Yes, and, yes. And you are etched like, in, the, uh, you know, oh, in the canon of New Zealand TV history. It's really true. And also, I remember really, really clearly, like just after it had gone to air, the listener in New Zealand had, someone had written some kind of hilarious, you know, little dig at mm. it by going, will the writers of Melody Rules ever work again? <laughs> and, you know, at the, mm. you know, when you're a new writer, that was kind of awful. Well, that must have hurt back then. Yeah. Back, with that, back then, it was sort of like horrible kind of thing to write yeah. and kind of mean, you know, yeah. because a lot of us were really brand new. Yeah. And... It was just a bit of a schmozzle. Mm. And so, but even then, I went back of my head. I went, oh, I'll show you. Yes, and you did. Absolutely, you did. Mm. So, have you packed any sunscreen? Mm. Three flavours, chocolate, banana, and a French vanilla. <laughs> so what was your biggest takeaway? My biggest takeaway is to trust my own creative instinct. Well, if you can learn something from any experience, that's fantastic, right? And look, it's invaluable. It was just invaluable. And having such a big public failure yeah. uh, really kind of early on yeah. somehow didn't really dint my enthusiasm. And, you know, there were quite a few people on that show that didn't write again yeah. because they just found it too painful and right. traumatizing. Right. Um, I just wasn't one of them. And I don't really know what to put that down to. Bloody mindedness, I suspect. Yeah. And maybe kind of the bravado of youth or something. I think so. I think so. The other thing too, and I say this to my students all the time, is, you know, get used to failure. It's part of the deal. Mm. It's just part mm. of the deal because we're constantly creating things and then asking people to judge yeah. them. 
So true. So true. Okay. So let's fast forward then from 1994, right back up to date. And congratulations on your first episode of the new season of My Life is Murder. Oh, thank you. Can you tell us a little bit more about the show? Sure. So it's a light crime whodunit show. And it's, it's it basically was an Australian show with Lucy Lawless, who of course we know is a New Zealander. Yeah. I was aware of it, but I hadn't looked at it until I was approached by the producers and who asked me if I wanted to come work on it, which I thought was quite odd. And they said, oh, no, it's not because we're actually going, she's going to come back to New Zealand and we're going to create the second series in New Zealand. Wow. So production moved here for the whole of the second season. Yes. Yeah. Was that a storyline shift as well or just, just production? Ah, uh, not a massive story. Well, a slight storyline shift because we had to also, you know, cover off why she was in New Zealand and no longer in okay. Melbourne. But, um, or Sydney, but you know, she wasn't in Australia. So, so but, did that mean a whole new team of Kiwi writers, or did some of the Australian writers from season one stay with the show? Um, the guy that was running was running the story table was mm. a, a Aussie guy called Tim Pai, it was great, yeah. and he, he was still on, but everyone else was Kiwi. And it was, again, one of those strange coincidences, yeah, you know. The people that I had been involved with on working on Tender Trap had right. said, oh, you should talk to Catherine. Brilliant. It was just great. It's just very much how, um, you know, film and TV tends to work. It's yeah. who you know, who you've worked with, who likes you, who doesn't like yes, you. Yes, you know, yes. All of that stuff. <laughs> okay, final scene. Just a few questions to close with while the credits roll. Yes. So your new play, Campervan, is about a rich lister trying to take control of his legacy, shedding a life of luxury for a life in a campervan. If you were to give up the life you know and hit the road, luxury RV or classic BW? Luxury RV. <laughs> and, you know, my socialist heart wishes that I could just say common old B-dub, but I know, if I'm being really honest, luxury RV. <laughs> Are you a camper? Have you have you been in a campervan? Uh, no. <laughs> I have camped, but I have not been in a campervan. Okay. But I, we should try it. We, we should, should go on a writer's retreat. We could write something it. on the road, couldn't and, we? Oh my God, it'd be so much fun. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, we'll park that one. Mm. In Fresh Eggs, Wade and Penny leave Auckland in search of the good life. New Zealand has no shortage of beauty spots. So given we can't travel overseas at the moment, where are you parking your camper van? Okay, can I give two answers for that? Yes. Wanaka or Northland. Oh. So lovely. So beautiful. Who are the writers who've inspired your writing the most? Okay, so in terms of screenwriters, I really love Mike White. I've been a big fan of his for a long time. Um, Nora Ephron, who um, has sadly left us. There's quite a few New Zealand playwrights that have inspired me, but that list is quite long, so I don't want to leave mm. anyone out. Um, yeah. Just because they've just done it. They've just got yeah, it done yeah, yeah. and been yeah. great and made a living at it, which is no small feat here. Um, in terms of novelists, I really love Kate Atkinson and Paul Oster. They'd be two of my favourites that have inspired me and also Peter Wells. Other than the writer's toolkit, what was the last book that you read? <laughs> it was Humankind by Rutger Bergman. Brilliant. Recommend? Yes, really interesting. Great. And what's next on your reading list? It's actually Fleabag the Scriptures by oh, Phoebe Waller-Bridges. Yeah, 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 yeah. Love it. Did you love the show? I did, of course. Yes, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, now before I let you go, Catherine, can you please leave us with your top tip for maintaining a healthy writing practice? Time blocking. I find this super, super useful. And if you are someone that's pre uh, procrastinating or prevaricating around starting, just start off with a little tiny time block of like 10, 15 minutes and just go, I just have to do it and set the timer on your phone. 
that's brilliant that's brilliant oh listen Catherine thank you so much for sitting down in your in your busy day and having Excellent a chat pleasure it's been awesome but we could just carry on talking yeah we could well let's 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 get to crave and get some coffees and um, make, make our happen. plan to yes. yeah plan to take a camper van north to south and write something <laughs> I love it okay cool all right we'll talk soon thank you Paul bye bye have a good day bye Oh, I'm so pleased Catherine was able to join me for a chat and I can't wait to see her play The Camper Van in May at the Pump House Theatre here in Auckland. You'll find links to connect with Catherine in the show notes as well as a link for the brilliant Radio New Zealand podcast series that we talked about, the worst sitcom ever made, a retrospective look at the now iconic Kiwi comedy, Melody Rules. You're listening to the Writer's Toolkit Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this first season for the Writer's Toolkit podcast. And I want to extend a huge thanks to all my guests for their generosity. Sitting down with them has been a real tonic in what was an otherwise unrelenting year. So thank you for giving your time, sharing your insight and imparting so much wisdom. Feedback from our global community of writers around the world has been fantastic and the reach has really surprised me. I kind of expected the majority of my audience to be in the US, uh, UK and New Zealand, but it's been so encouraging to look at the stats and see the podcast has been found by audiences in Spain, Italy, Belgium, Norway, um, Russia, Egypt, Gibraltar, Morocco, Sweden, even in Greece, where I'm hoping to do some workshops in 2022. So thank you all. And please don't forget to like and subscribe so you can find out when new episodes drop. And if you listen on Spotify, you can now leave a star rating, which will be really appreciated too. 2021 was definitely a year for taking stock, getting my stall in order and giving myself time to think about the spec scripts and passion projects that I want to move forward in 2022. So it was great to have the time to do that. But this year is definitely for me the year of the pitch, as Mark Sanderson put it back in our second episode. If you've enjoyed the episode so far, I have lots of exciting guests lined up to chat to later this year. And travel permitting, some of those conversations may even be able to happen in person. Imagine that. And if if you've just discovered the podcast, do dip back into the first season. I'm sure if you've enjoyed this episode, you'll find lots more to take away from all the other episodes as well. I hope 2022 is an inspiring and productive year for all of us, and I'd love to connect more with you online in the meantime. So do message me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Paul Kalbergi, or send me a message via the contact form on my website, which is paulkalbergi.com forward slash contact. Let me know which episodes you've enjoyed the most and feel free to share any thoughts, ideas for future guests or topics. I'd love to hear any ideas and feedback that you have. Until then, stay inspired. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Writer's Toolkit podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and share the link with your friends. This podcast is fueled by coffee. If you'd like to support the show, you'll find the Buy Me A Coffee link in the show notes. 